Hi, welcome back to Chaplaincy Chats, the LTU podcast that explores interesting topics with interesting people. I'm your host, Hannah Hayward, the Coordinating Lay Chaplain here at Leeds Trinity University, and every month I'll be joined by a different person to discuss a topic relevant to anybody seeking answers on deep human problems. Okay, so let's get to it with the global robotics industry predicted to grow annually by 10%, reaching approximately $70 billion in the next five years. And with just under half a million new industrial robots arriving on the market every year, are we justified in asking the question, are robots taking over? Recent research has even been exploring the development of robotic reproduction and evolution. Is this all happening too fast? Is it tech first, morality later? How do our usual categories of right and wrong apply to robots with no brains, but plenty of intelligence? What responsibilities are there on A, the people who design, manufacture, market and sell the technology, and B, those of us who use it? Following the recent Trinity Conference, A Catholic Response to a Digital Age, a conference hosted by Leeds Trinity on some of the dangers and opportunities of a tech-driven world, We're looking in today's episode at the question of robots, artificial intelligence, and the future of morality in a world controlled by computers. Here to throw a bit of light on everything and to guide us through some of the big questions is Joseph Nelson, a master's by research student at Leeds Trinity University. A big focus for Joseph's studies is the ethics of artificial intelligence, and we're delighted to welcome him on the podcast today. Joseph, welcome. Thanks, Hannah. It's lovely to get to chat with you. I should say, actually, Reverend Joseph, as Joseph has uh, recently been ordained a Lutheran pastor. So, Reverend, welcome. It's good to have you with us. Um, So, Joe, first of all, help us to get past the hype and the headlines and give us a bit of a sense of what the current status is of artificial intelligence. How far advanced down this road are we? How prevalent is this technology nowadays? And can you give us some examples of where it's being used now, just in our everyday lives? Well... When I say the words artificial intelligence to people normally, so often what comes to mind are things like, oh, that movie iRobot or um, a real favourite TV show of mine actually for a while, Person of Interest. Um, They're really great, really good uh, programmes to watch. And I do like them. But one thing to be really clear about at the start here is we are certainly not there when it comes to the current situation of AI. At the same time, I've read so many books, especially books by Christian authors about AI and about the ethics of AI, where they're talking about, you know, this future super intelligent being that are we making something to be a new god for us, this sort of thing. And far too often we can neglect, neglect the fact that there's already AI in use. It's already here. It's used in things like Amazon, Facebook, TikTok, even things like when you use a loyalty card at um, at your supermarket, your your Morrison's card or your Sainsbury's card or your Tesco card. They're all gathering data for artificial intelligence to use to track what people are buying, what sort of things you might like to buy as well. And it's all used. Have you ever had that experience where... um, You've thought about something or you've had a conversation about something. And then five minutes later, you've gone on the Internet 
and there's an ad for the exact thing that you're looking for or thinking about. It seems like it's um, reading your mind or listening to you. It probably isn't. What it's doing is it's looking at what you've searched for, what other people have searched for, and it's um, it's tracking that and it's making suggestions based on that. For example, when you're on a website and you see that pop-up that comes up and it says, do you accept cookies? It's it's not, you know, baked goods, though I, I wish it was with how often I have to click it. It's it's tracking you. It's you giving permission to um, for data to be stored on you so that AI can track things and learn. It's really important for these systems to learn. Um, but it's already in use in all sorts of things like Medical things for tracking. Um, I, I saw a study recently that was proving that AI could be used to identify cancer cells. Um, it's used in farming to produce better outcome in poor countries where um, the uh, agricultural system is struggling or finding things difficult. AI is used to boost production in farming, so they like tracks the water, the soil tells the farmer what to add, what to subtract, how to make the crop yield better. It's used in self-driving cars in some places already. They're allowed. There's already the prospect of in the next few years, this isn't in decades away, in the next few years, self-driving taxis that'll pick you up somewhere and drop you off and they'll just drive themselves. It's not, this isn't like 10 years in the future. This is soon. These are possibilities that are already in production it's used in cyber security and it's even used in recruitment for jobs and as you can see it's already here with us mm. so i mean this tech is here it's here to stay i presume because it's so widespread now this is now becoming yeah. so integrated into how we even function as a society but how is this different to any other technical innovation that we've had you know, in human history, like the printing press, the automobile, the telephone, the internet itself. What is new about this particular kind of technology in AI? Why should the church be particularly bothered about it, aware about it? You know, why should we even be having this podcast in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> well, a printing press doesn't make decisions. It's quite simple what a printing press does. It gets the... Uh, the sort of model of what it's supposed to do. It prints that onto a piece of paper. It come out with that printed onto something else. A printing press doesn't give you data. It gives you what you put into it just in a different format. Whereas AI takes what you put in, it makes decisions on that and gives you an output. It's a very different prospect. Obviously, there are things like with every other technological development that we need to consider, such as the dignity of work. People will lose jobs as a result of AI. And even some quite high skilled jobs um, now that it's being used in medical facilities, it's being used in education. I, I also work at the, the library at Leeds Trinity, and we've recently started using artificial intelligence to um, improve searches on the library search on the computer. Instead of someone having to go through manually and edit every single entry, now there's an AI that will attach links. It will um, create pictures so that people can see what the book looks like, etc. 
So someone doesn't have to go through and do all of that anymore. Um, it saves a lot of time and effort. But also we can see how this has the potential to create job losses in some areas and for some roles. Then again, that's always happened throughout history, from the printing press to um, the internet to the typewriter. The church is called to read the signs of the times, as it says in the Catholic Church's Vatican II. One significant ethical issue that we have to deal with is this, this element of the dignity of work. It has the potential to replace people, but also when employment is concerned, AI is sometimes being used to weed out or to look at um, applicants to a role. Um, Only a few years ago, um, deep learning and AI was used to, um, by Amazon, to select employees for shortlisting. It turned out that the uh, the AI had an in, inbuilt bias. Accidentally, it was not put there on purpose at all. That would be a whole other di- different issue, but it was accidentally bias against women and against people of colour, um, mostly because of the data that it received in its training. Um, that's one of those risks. But again, you can see how, even though that is an inadvertent bias that the machine has, it still presents risks for our ethical integrity. And it's an ethical question because when it comes to employment, there are so many ethical questions. Now, it's not the fault of the AI because the AI works on a thing called a neural network where it puts the information in, it compares it against other data and comes out with a solution. It designs that model itself in black boxes, which will take quite a while to explain all the intricacies of that. But essentially, the artificial intelligence designs how best to answer questions. And it considers so much more data than the human mind can consider. And so sometimes we don't even know why or how it's come to the conclusion that it would. Even though we do understand how it works, um, there are so many different layers to it. And it is learning every time it uses something and sees something. And the data that is used to train that model into coming up with solutions means that sometimes mistakes like this are a risk. And it's about the ethics of AI is very much about data. And it's very much about how we can use data in an ethical way to ensure that AI is explainable and that it is um, working in a way that is for the dignity of the human person. Hmm. Okay, so let's explore that a bit more. You mentioned data. Um, We've already referred a bit to some of the ethical potential compromises with regard to employment and sifting through an unconscious, well, we can't call it unconscious because there is no consciousness in the AI, but a kind of an inherent bias that is being generated when sifting through applications, for example, against particular groups. Can you outline for us in layman's terms any other things of, of why this might be ethically problematic, this technology? I mean, a lot of them linked back to data. For example, again, you have privacy. It links back to data. Um, so, for example, when AI is collecting information or when information is being collected to train artificial intelligence, where is that coming from? Is it just coming from search engines or sites like Facebook, Instagram, uh, Google, where they're collecting data all the time. And very often that's used then to train artificial intelligence. 
A big ethical question is around high stakes decision making. So financial decision making, decision making in um, environments such as um, hospitals or healthcare or education, higher education at universities. To what extent should we rely on black box models that we can't fully understand what's happening in? Um, we've mentioned the risk of inbuilt bias in, and the importance of impartiality, really, to a lot of things in our world that we might not get the same level of with AI. Above all, ethical issues so often come back to this element of the dignity of the human person and how AI, instead of causing problems with that or meaning a lack of dignity or reducing people's dignity. How can we use AI in a way that um, dignifies the human person, that brings more dignity, that causes us to be able to live a better life for the sake of the common good? Um, above all, my research, and my research area is a bit more complicated, it's around Dietrich Bonhoeffer and responsibility. Um, that question of who's responsible for AI, who is accountable for AI, where does the where where does that sort of the buck stop? Where does the um, question of who did this? And that, that's not easy to answer with AI, but it's about taking hold of that responsibility and finding a way of putting a safety net around it, um, if that makes sense. There's so many more issues, but those are a few few key button ones that I've uh, that I've considered in my research so far. Great, that's really helpful. And on that question of accountability. Um, something we're going to kind of chat about next. So the, the church, I mean, when the church isn't always seen as the most tech savvy groups in society, but I don't know, particularly in the Catholic church, they're just not, not really known for it. So many may presume that um, the church has pretty much been keeping out of this because it's not, it doesn't know anything about this stuff. And this is a, a technical question for the tech world to work out the answer to. Um, but it was you who first alerted me to the, the Rome call for AI ethics, which was, quite the opposite of keeping out of it wasn't it it was the it was the church pulling together the biggest players in the tech world um, for bringing this question of accountability to the forefront and responsibility can you explain a little bit about the Rome call for, for AI ethics what what is it what was it and what what's its purpose so the Rome call originates from a, a group known as the Pontifical Council for Life um, which was set up I believe by John Paul II that there are a number of different pontifical councils. So, for example, um, we actually had a podcast recently with um, a member of staff at the Pontifical Council for Christian Unity, um, and they all look at different things um, to do with the life and work of the Catholic Church. Now, the Pontifical Council for Life um, works in a very different, varied assortment of things, but one element was this sort of dignity of the human person. In, in their quest to um, put across, basically, the importance of the dignity of the human person, they realise that this is an area that needs more ethical agreement, more grounding. And so they came together with Microsoft, IBM, a representative from the UN, and a representative from the European Parliament, along with others. And they held a conference called Renaissance, with the AI in the middle of Renaissance, uh, capitalised. Um, and then the second part of the title, for a human-centric artificial intelligence. And that conference was held in 2020. 
The aim of it was to develop a joint approach to AI, to look at what the ethical challenges are, and to work on a way to go forward together to develop at least a framework to start from. So the Pontifical Council for Life organised this event, and the conference culminated in agreement, which was the signing of the Rome Call. So the Rome Call website um, stresses that there's a need for technology simply to be not to be seen simply as a tool that we need to, but that we need to go further than that, um, because it is a tool that will um, change the world that we live in. It's not just a tool. It's something that in and of itself poses real radical questions. And even to the extent that it poses questions about what does it mean to be a human being? How is the machine different to us? And what are the ethical statuses of these machines? What are the ethical statuses of its decisions? And where do we go from here? And how do we ensure that, as it says in part of the title, how do we ensure that AI is human-centric, that it isn't um, used solely for the sake of, say, profit, but that it is recognizing the dignity of every human person. There are six principles that form the core of the Rome Call, and these are the six principles. The first one is that transparency. In principle, it states that um, AI systems must be explainable. Again, that's quite a tricky one, but it does set a groundwork that, that it must be able to explain why it's come to its decisions, what happens in the system. The second one is inclusion, that there's a need for all human beings to be taken into consideration so that everyone can benefit and all individuals can be offered the best possible conditions to express themselves and to develop. The third one is responsibility, that those who design and deploy the use of AI must proceed with responsibility and transparency. Again, for me, that one doesn't go into as much detail as I'd like, because who is responsible then? But it is recognising that those who are designing this can't just design it in isolation from the world in which it will be used. And there needs to be a transparency about this. It, they need to be transparent in the development. Why is it being done? What is it going to do? What are the aims and objectives? The fourth one is impartiality, that you do not create or act according to bias, thus safeguarding fairness and human dignity, which we've discussed already. The fifth one might seem a bit odd, reliability, that AI systems must be able to work reliably. This is especially important for the sake of safety and simply to know that it won't cause inadvertent harm, that it will reliably come to the conclusions that it's being designed to come to and not simply go off on the go off once it's, uh, it's presented with real data rather than training data. Um, this one is actually quite a difficult one because sometimes you don't know per se until you get to those later stages in development. Finally, there's security and privacy. The AI systems must work securely and respect the privacy of users. Um, and so those are the six main principles that it um, that is put forward. What, so do you think it was a good thing? What, what did it achieve? What did the Rome Call for Ethics, AI Ethics achieve? What did it fail to achieve, um, in your opinion? It's great that the church has taken this lead in, in this emerging ethical field. Um, and it demonstrates the church's concern for the dignity of all persons, irrespective of background, religion, uh, race, etc. 
Um, and it's really good that these organisations could come together, as I've said. Um, so what would you say to people like me who don't live and move in the tech space, um, but are indirectly part of this whole system of AI and data and and by the products I consume and how I manage my life in a, in a digital in a digital world, how can I be an ethical digital consumer? What things should I be considering? I mean, I'm not even that much of a, a tech savvy person myself. I'm I am a, an ethicist, a theologian, but um, I understand to a degree how AI works, but I couldn't program it myself. And it, it is a really interesting, important, relevant question. My, as I mentioned, my master's research is focused on the Lutheran theologian and martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his conception of what responsibility is in ethics. Um, he never actually finished the book that he was writing on ethics. Um, sadly, he was executed before he could. But when you're a part of this global network and you have a share in the rewards and the consequences that result of it, how much of it are you responsible for? Just as with climate change, AI is something that affects all of us, regardless of faith, ethics, background, philosophies. It's something that we all have a share in because we all benefit from it and we will all be damaged by the consequences of it. And I'm responsible for the products that I use. I am responsible for what I consume, just as I am with climate change. And I'm responsible to a degree for the consequences of those actions. But that's not so simple. Say you're buying an engagement wing, ring and you want to know about the ethics of the diamond. How responsible are you for that supply chain? Like it might be ethically sourced or say that it's ethically sourced in the shop that you buy it from. But where have they bought it from? Where have they bought it from? Where have they bought it from? When you're talking about responsibility, it's very difficult because it's not a straightforward transaction between me and this person. I am to a degree responsible for what's happened to get me to this point. Do I know enough about this website that I'm visiting or this company that I'm agreeing to let use my data? Am I consuming content from a source that uses technology responsibly? Does it have a policy on data, on AI? Maybe has the organization that I'm buying something from, such as Microsoft, IBM, have they signed up to their own call? Because that's, I would say, if it's going to be something that's using AI, I would rather get it from a company that has signed up to an agreement like this. It might not be binding, it might not be ideal, but at least you know they're thinking about it. Above all, it's really important to stay informed to the best of your ability. We're not all going to be tech experts. I'm not a tech expert. But I like to ensure that I am up to date and know to a degree what I'm using because I'm responsible for that. I want to try and understand what it is, what is going on, how AI is being used. And in any democratic system, at least, you have a voice. If there's a need for legislation on AI, which I believe there is, a need for more, it's important on such issues to be able to talk to legislators or potential legislators in an election and say, what is your position on this? What would you do if a vote comes up on this? How will you be someone who um, triumphs the dignity of the human person, who triumphs the common good, especially when it comes to tech?
above all, as Christians, Bonhoeffer calls us to what he calls representative responsible action, that we are called to go above and beyond the requirements of the law and to become sort of echoing Genesis where Cain and Abel's situation, where he says, I am not my brother's keeper. Bonhoeffer saying we are to become our brother's keeper deliberately. We are to act as if we're responsible for the sake of Jesus Christ, even if we are not necessarily really responsible. Because of Jesus, it's no longer okay for us to act as if the only person we're morally responsible for is ourselves. We are responsible for the society in which we live. We are responsible for the world and we're responsible for one another because Jesus took responsibility for us and for our sin on the cross. We are social creatures. We live in a society and we need to act in a way that recognises that we are responsible for one another. And we need to ensure that we have a preferential option for the other that cares for the common good. So, I mean, obviously, both of you and I are Christians. We follow the person of Jesus Christ. He, he influences our everything, you know, decisions and our, our lives itself. So what can we take from the life of, of Jesus himself, this man who came to earth 2,000 years ago, you know, long before the Internet was even created, to a poor family in Palestine? You know, what can faith in Jesus specifically do to encourage us and inspire us in this digital age? I think in this instance, Jesus gives us what he's always given us, hope. You know, far too often with situations like this, like climate change and change, like AI, it's far too easy to bury your head in the sand. But actually, we've got to remember that this world is not the be-all and end-all of everything. However, at the same time, as Christians, the call of the gospel has always been that we fight for the good of the other for a better world for the sake of Christ who saves us. It isn't good enough for us to sit as Christians on the sidelines when it comes to ethical decisions, when it comes to things that will impact the poor. We can't be people who sit this one out. The call of love, and therefore the call of God, is to be involved in the mess of the world. Or as Pope Francis put it, those of us who are ministering need to have the smell of the sheep about us. We can't ignore what's going on in the world and live in our own little bubble. We need to engage with this, engage with the digital world. And that's the call for the Christian here and now today, is not to ignore the world, but to be right there, to be right there in the middle of it, bringing the love of God. We need to be the light of the world, just as Jesus is. And we need to be that light in these digital spaces, talking about the poor, those who are suffering. And we need to be right there in the middle, tri triumphing and ensuring that they are the people that benefit the most from these things. Not just rich corporations, not just people who are going to benefit from having data and money, but that this is really something for the sake of humanity as a whole, not for the rich few. Thanks, Joe. It's really helpful to have to end on a kind of note of hopefulness and to recognise as well that obviously AI um, could be could bring about some amazing benefits. Yeah. To, to could really 
enhance the dignity of human people, could really bring about great benefits for the common good. Um, and to, to, yeah, to kind of look to the Lord for guidance and, um, and to the, the church's vision of, of, you know, the dignity of each human person, the common good, for understanding how we get there, basically, um, in a digital age. That is all we've got time for today. Um, but Joe, thanks so much for being with us. If you want to hear more about this, about the Rome Call and about some um, a, a bit more of a detailed analysis of this, um, Joe wrote one of the papers that went into the Trinity Conference publication, which you can purchase. We'll put that um, in the link in the bio for that in case you want to read a bit more about that. Um, Joe, all the best with your ongoing studies. Sounds like it, there's some heavy stuff there, but really important things that need to be discussed. So if you have got any questions or comments, um, please do post them um, in the comments section, or you can contact us on Chaplaincy, uh, Leeds Trinity University Chaplaincy Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter. Um, and we look forward to seeing you all next time on Chaplaincy Chats.